Welcome back to another Obliquity podcast. This is podcast number two. The date is November the 15th, 2020. And uh, we are in our mobile studio this week. And uh, hopefully we will be getting uh, a good uh, quality podcast here. But a couple things I wanted to talk about. We'll give you a little heads up. We're going to talk about politics and uh, in relation to the church. John Piper particularly. Talking about Hillsong Church and problems in the church there. And then we're going to talk about Biden's policies as he comes into the presidency. And then, as a little side note, talking about being canceled. So it's been a busy two weeks since we, uh, since we did our last podcast. And uh, I got some interesting things here that I wanted to share with you. First is, uh, had to do with politics. And uh, John Piper, uh, about a week before the election... He got, uh, he got, he had an article. It might have been even longer than that. Um, I'll actually have the article right here. So it came out, came out October 22nd. So it was a few weeks before the election. And um, he wrote this wonderful article, which I actually believe, uh, I actually agree with quite, quite a bit. Um, there's this huge idea that um, in politics, you have to, at least in American politics, that you have to vote for the lesser of two evils. So you have two options. We're a two-party system in the U.S., You've got two options. You've got one option that is the Democrat, liberals, left-leaning, leftists, and so forth. And then you have Republicans, right-wing, right-leaning, conservatives. And and this is supposed to this uh, this dichotomy is supposed to um, somehow represent all of America. And you know the fact of the matter is is you cannot easily break down all of America into a simple dichotomy like this, but this is the options that are available. Now, I have a friend on Facebook, and he is, uh, he's a big libertarian, and you know I'm fine with that. Uh, there's things I don't agree about with libertarians, so I couldn't join a libertarian party. I Actually, I've been an independent for you know a number of years, probably <clears throat> 15 years or so, um, because although growing up uh, in a in a, in a conservative household, we, you know, they, my parents consistently voted Republican and, uh, and I went along with it just because, you know, as a young person, you don't really have too much, um, too much, uh, wisdom to, to glean with yet. But over the years, I just, I was like, man, I'm not happy with the, the two party system. I'm not happy with being, uh, pigeonholed into one of two options. And that is one being Republican and one being Democrat. And, um, so I don't agree with this idea, this false idea, and it's a false dilemma, essentially. It says, well, you only have two options, and if you don't vote for one, you're going to vote for the other, and if you don't for either one of them, then you're automatically voting for the one we're not for. So if you are, say you're, you know, if the Republican is telling you this, they're going to say, well, if you don't vote for us, you're automatically voting for the other person. Even if you don't vote, it's essentially giving the other person a vote. Well, this is a false dilemma. This is a fallacy, and it's not accurate. And uh, quite honestly, you know, I haven't voted in a number of elections, and on, on the main reason that uh, John Piper talks about, and uh, you know, one of the things that he's, you know, that uh, I haven't voted for, uh, but you find out the state that I'm in typically goes one way. It's Republican, or uh, I haven't lived in a state that goes Democrat, but. Um, it goes dem- it goes Republican. So, you know, quite honestly, and by usually a quite a bit of majority, and so my vote essentially uh, doesn't, doesn't count. My vote doesn't count, um, and unless it were a much tighter race, I would love to have greater options in, uh, in my voting uh, opportunities, 
and but we don't and i think that system needs to be changed i think that needs to be changed drastically and my friend who is pro-libertarian uh, I even mentioned something on his Facebook, like, look, you have got to, you know, here's, here's, here's what has to happen four years prior to an election. Not, I mean, the Libertarian Party on January 1st of 2021 needs to begin if they hope to get into, uh, have a candidate ready and available for the election in 20, uh, what is it, 2024 or 2023, I guess the election will be leading up to it. Um, they need to have a candidate ready. They need to be ready, or I guess 2024, but anyhow, they need to have a candidate ready and they need to build that visibility over the four years. But I digress. John Piper wrote this article and he basically says, look, um, when people are voting for the incumbent who uh, they don't agree with, they are not putting God ahead of their politics. And um, you'll have to read the article. It's at desiringgod.org. It's called Policies, Persons, and Paths to Ruin. And you can tell he's a preacher because of his alliteration. But he makes this beautiful point um, that it is what happens is when we don't, when we vote party line, regardless of the person in power, that we are not voting. Uh, with faith in God, we're not recognizing God's sovereignty and omniscience and uh, omnipotence in the affairs of mankind. We are saying we we think we have to vote for uh, a bad candidate um, because the other candidate's worse. And so I don't agree with that. And he's gotten hit. John Piper has gotten hit by multiple people. Um, He's gotten hit by Norm Geisler, and as a matter of fact, there's people I can't even, uh, I don't even remember right now who they are, and uh, and quite honestly, I really don't care, because I think they're all faulty. Um, I think, John, and I don't agree with John Piper and everything. John Piper's a Calvinist, I'm not, uh, but I think he makes some, argu- I think he makes some good points in relation to this argument. So that's the first thing I wanted to say. Um, he, he says here, freedom, of, freedom and life are precious and we all want to live and be free to pursue happiness. But if our freedoms and even our lives are threatened or taken, the essence of our identity in Christ, the certainty of our everlasting joy with Christ and the holiness of love for which we have been saved by Christ, none of these is lost with the loss of life and freedom. And that is absolutely true. Um, then when, we're, when we are not looking at, you know, we can lose freedom. I mean, you look at people in, in communist Russia, in communist China and other uh, tyrannical authoritarian countries, you know, when they have freedom in Christ, that is not because of the government. That is in spite of the government. That is because of uh, the uh, freedom that you have and liberty you have in Christ. So I wanted to mention that this week. Uh, I thought that was an important one. Now, the next one that we're going to look at is... Uh, is Hillsong Church. Uh, Hillsong Church has a pastor by the name of Carl Lentz that was fired um, the week of November the 5th. Um, and he, uh, you know, apparently he pastored Justin Bieber and, you know, there's a number of other stars in New York uh, that uh, go to his church and are, he, all that. And so, but the New York Post has this article and talks about moral failures. And, you know, honestly, I didn't want to talk about tons about this article because I'm not really, I don't really uh, Carl Lentz is one of those guys I don't really agree with either. But 
you know, there's kind of three things I wanted to mention about this. You know, when you have a moral failure, as far as we understand, it was an affair, um, and then he was just not unfaithful to his wife. Now, for a pastor, that is a huge, huge issue. Uh, that is a disqualifying act. Now, doesn't mean he can't be restored and have some capacity uh, in the church, whether that be some sort of uh, behind-the-scenes, non-ministerial, uh, administrative position, or something like that. But uh, when you, first of all, when you're in a position like Carl Lentz is, um, you're a target. You're a target by everybody, and uh, particularly by the devil. And so he, um, he, he's been fired by the church. And then, um, which I, I find problematic because my eschatological, or not eschatological, but uh, ecclesiastic, ecclesiolog- ecclesiastic, um, view or ecclesiology view is that um, let me let me back up just for a second. There's this really big problem I see in a lot of, a lot of churches in the U.S. and it's uh, a corporatism, it's a, a corporate church mentality, and they've you know they want to have this thing that almost looks like a business, and they do have all these quote unquote ministries, and some of them you know make money, uh, some of them don't make money, but. You know, I find that to be ultimately problematic because I think it goes against the essence of what the church was intended to be. And so I find that problematic. When you fire your pastor, there is a process. Now, I don't know anything about the church going on through this process or not, but I do want to say as a note of caution that there is a process that a church has to have. And in a situation like this, you can immediately suspend the pastor. I would say you could suspend him without firing him. Um, and then give him a little bit of time for him to establish himself. But we're talking just a few weeks, not instant firing. Um, But I don't disagree totally with their reaction on that because when you put a person in leadership of, you know, know, multiple thousands of people, um, it, 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 it uh, it is a reproach in the name of Christ when these things happen. And we've got to be careful about that. But there is a proper church discipline um, and that's one of the question I have is, is there going to be a proper church discipline administered uh, as uh, through this church, which would be the right way to do that. Uh, first of all, it was an open sin. Now, how long was this going on? I don't know. Was it a one-time thing? We don't know. I don't know. Um, and I'm really, that's really kind of irrelevant to the whole, to the whole argument here because <clears throat> the fact is they need to be dealt with, you know, it needs to be dealt with and it needs to be confessed by Carl Lentz. There needs to be restoration and healing in the family um, and bring them back into the church, but not necessarily on staff. The other thing is that there's a corporate church. uh, Well, I mentioned this already. There's a corporate church problem in America. And and maybe we'll come back to this in another article, in another another time. But um, I'm not, uh, I think it's sad. And uh, the reaction of some, you know, it's, they want to be really caustic. And I I don't want to throw Carl Lentz under the bus at all. the guy needs to be restored. He needs to be healed. He needs grace. But uh, obviously, you do have to deal with the aftermath and with the consequences of, of your actions. And, um, and so I'm not ca- uh, castigating Carl Lentz. I'm not chastising him uh, in the sense that, you know, he's a horrible person. I don't know if he is a godly person. I don't know that either. Um, but I trust that he, uh, he 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 repents, turns back to God, uh, makes it right, and then uh, finds something else to do with his life. Because as far as I'm concerned, biblically, he is disqualified from the ministry at this point. 
um, he is disqualified. And, and you find people, you know, they have different philosophies about this and, uh, you know, different ideas about people and that are divorced and then they remarried and then they're in pastoring. And, you know, I, I find that really problematic. I think the Bible is really, ultra, really clear that this is supposed to be the ideal. We're supposed to have an ideal and put as the best quality that we can put in there. And when a person fails morally, they're disqualified and, um, and we need to get somebody else in that, in that ministerial position, in that pastoral position. And so, you know, my heart goes out to Carl Lentz and his family, to his wife, to his children. And, um, and I pray that you'd pray for him. Um, pray that God gets a hold of his heart and, uh, and restores him, obviously, but not to uh, this ministerial position that he uh, was once part of. So now going into the third section of our show today, and uh, we are going to, I'm going to look at Biden's, this is by Wharton, uh, which is the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton Business School, which incidentally, uh, from what I understand, is where um, Donald Trump attended. Uh, I don't know that he finished. Maybe he did. Uh, but he at least attended there. Um, and President Biden has a couple of points here. He's got, let's see here, five five points that they, they mention in this article. This is uh, knowledge.wharton.com. UPenn.edu. The article is a breakdown of the Biden campaign policy platform. The Biden campaign's policy platform. Uh, that's the that's the that's the title that's in the uh, URL. The article itself is called "A Breakdown of the Biden Policy Platform: Five Key Takeaways." And I just wanted to talk about the takeaways just briefly. Um, he proposes uh, large public investments over the next 10 years. And so this is going to be things like uh, including universal pre-K, uh, funding for schools serving low-income students, two years of guaranteed debtless college, uh, tuition-free public college for low-income families, and along with $1.6 trillion for uh, water, transit, uh, infra- water and transit infrastructure, other green infrastructure, and projects in clean energy R&D. And, so he's actually going to pay, this is $1.9 trillion that is going to go for this. And ultimately, it's going to increase our national debt. Um, but, uh, you know, so it's, yeah, it's going to increase our national debt. But on the other hand, um, you know, their argument is that it will pay for itself in a way by, you know, obviously with water availability, clean water and abundance of water. Uh, it will uh, provide jobs, create benefits where now you have companies paying taxes and so forth, clean energy research projects, uh, green infrastructure projects, which to be honest with you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just call it out. One of the things I've had questions for a number of years, and I've seen some TED Talks that kind of address the issue, but I think we need to go back to nuclear energy. And I know nuclear energy is a dirty word, but nuclear energy is not nearly as dirty as coal. That's number one. But uh, number two is the fact that with the with the with all of the what all goes into putting up a um, wind generators or solar, the problems that it causes. I mean, you're having noise pollution, low level noise pollution. So this is in the low frequency range, like base level. Okay, that causes problems. People around those areas do not like 
to have the wind generators, number one. Number two, all the carbon that goes into building, what the steel, all the copper, shipping that around the world, bringing it here and there, the fiberglass that goes into the manpower, the people going to those works to build those things. Now, you know what? It's probably like building multiple um, multiple uh, nuclear factories uh, nuclear uh, generating plants. But you know what? The, my guess is that building, you know, all of these wind generators and installing them and traveling, you know, transporting them across the country, plus solar power. And then what are you going to do in, when they you have uh, used their life expectancy? You know, at least a nuclear power plant can be used for 30 years, but you're talking 30, well, even longer than that, 40, 50 years. But when you deal with an issue like someplace like, um, like a new, like a wind generators or solar panels, they you lose your effectiveness after you know 15 to 20 years, and then you have to do something with it. Recycle it? Probably not. It's probably going to get shipped to these big graveyards, these big uh, uh, these dump sites, whether in India or China or wherever else, and so it's not in our soil and causing more problems. And so I'm not a big fan of the green infrastructure. I love green infrastructure, green energy, personally. Uh, I have since I was a kid, and I think there's a lot of benefits to it. But at the same time, when you're putting it on a national scale, scaling up, I don't think it's going to support and um, and be able to to follow through with what needs to be. Uh, free public college is great for low-income families. You know, uh, I probably fall into that category of low-income families. But, um, you know, that's great. That helps. Debtless college. You know, that's one of the things is that American college uh, university education has become a racket. Um, now, in fact, well, there's alternatives, University of the People, which is a project by Microsoft and a few other places where it's a free online accredited or at least very low cost accredited. Uh, although it's not regionally accredited, it's nationally accredited. So that's a, uh, an issue there that I find. So there's things like that. Then Biden is also proposing a large expansion of health care, although it's a much smaller than a progressive proposal like Medicare for all. And it's offset by his drug saving plan. And so. This is another thing, you know, it's going to be uh, the uh, expanding the Affordable Care Act. I'm sorry, but Affordable Care Act is not affordable. Um, you know, we, uh, we we had a hard time. You know, our, our insurance rates have gone up uh, in the United States um, uh, by six or seven hundred dollars for our family size and uh, from what it was before. And um, you know, it's one of those things where you have people who get health care, who, who can't qualify any longer for health care. And you, this is supposed to be this new system where you, you could. There were people who had it before, and now they no longer have health insurance because the, the system has been changed. And I think that's the biggest tragedy of this whole system, where instead of shoring it up, they wanted to bring up this new system. They wanted to make it European or whatever. I'm sorry, but if you look at Europe, they have their own issues. They have their own issues with healthcare that is not going to be remedied by some drastic social one-payer system, social health, wealth, um, social um, socialized medicine, or one-payer system. Um, what needs to happen in the United States, particularly, is then it needs things need to be deregulated just a little bit. There needs to be, uh, you know, when you're charging, you know, in the healthcare field, uh, there needs to be an openness. Uh, podcast um, the. Um, Oh, it's a podcast, uh, Freakonomics podcast that talks about uh, the openness and transparency of uh, medical care, medical services. You know, when you can find uh, this one researcher looked among in one city, looked at multiple hospitals asking about, you know, like a heart surgery. And it ranged from anything from, you know, $10,000 
all the way up to $250,000. And that's the same procedure in the same, in, in, in comparable, you know, obviously they're going to be slightly different, but in different hospitals, uh, in the same city or in the same area. And that is the problem. We have to reduce the overall costs and of, of healthcare. Now, how do we do that? Well, if we go to a one-payer system, sure, it'll happen. The problem that I can, that I have is that then the government begins to dictate. Do they put caps on income? Okay, that's not a free market system. Do they put caps on care for a person? So if you've had so many surgeries or you've had so much care given to you over the number of years, uh, well, it's gonna cost us too much to keep you alive, so we're just gonna let you, you know, let you, you know, uh, fade out. Uh, let, your, let your bad choices, your lifestyle choices uh, hit you. No, I, I, I think that's a wrong way to look at it. Look at it. Uh, but I think that's the potential that's there. Now, maybe, uh, maybe somebody can explain that a little bit better to me, but that's my, at least my understanding of it. The Biden platform, number three on the list, is Biden platform would increase spending by $5.37 trillion over the decade. Now, I think this is unconscionable. But it says that, um, and part of this is uh, it's going to be new housing assistance, $650 billion for new housing assistance, $547 billion for 12 weeks of universal paid leave. So universal paid leave probably for, you know, maternity leave or if you have some sort of family issue. And then $290 billion to boost Social Security benefits for beneficiaries with low earnings histories. And, you know, I, I will say that that is something that, uh, is a tragedy and the way the cost. Now, this all is predicated on the fact that Social Security would still be around. Um, but that's one of the issues. And then we have the fourth one here is Biden tax plan would raise 3.375 trillion over 10 years with 80% of the new revenue coming from the top 1% of households. And he talks about in here how um, it's not going to bother people at $400,000 a year uh, or less. Um, but that it will affect um, for people that are in the top 1.5% would have their taxable incomes uh, decreased by 17.7%, which, you know, if you're in the top 1.5%, it's not going to, you know, 17% of, you know, like, you know, $5 billion. But that's not their taxable, that's their gross. So, you know, you're talking about what their yearly income is. Um, you know, say it's it's $100 million. Well, $17 million off the top of that, um, you know, is going to bring them down into the $87 million, you know, $83 million uh, range. So you have that. And then for people, um, it says here, let's see, under $400,000, it's going to be 0.9% under the Biden, Biden tax plan. But the problem here I find is that it's still an increase of taxes. It's like, let's cut the fat in our government. Let's trim things down so that things are more efficient. Let's try to reduce our taxes and then use that taxes, that tax money in a more uh, efficient and in a more prudent way, rather than saying, hey, we're gonna raise taxes, you know, on these people, but not so much on these people. And, um, well, I'm sorry, it's not gonna raise, yeah, it's gonna decrease their average income by 0.9%, which essentially is still raising some of the taxes. So. Corporate taxes, which I think it needs, we need to be, uh, uh, you know, that's another good one. But the problem with that is then is then the cust the the companies will not uh, eat that. They will pass it on to the uh, consumer, and so ultimately, any type of every type of taxation that happens, and even on these billionaires, if they have businesses, 
those they 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 are not going to eat that. You know, they're going to find loopholes around that, uh, which has historically been the case. You know, when people have raised taxes in the past, and I, I heard a podcast about this, where in the past um, they started making less money. They started reporting less money. They found other loopholes. They found charities that they could give it to. They found other ways to do this. And I, actually, that's a, maybe a topic for a future uh, podcast, but it's something to deal with um, on, on, on social welfare. I don't think it needs to be a government-instituted thing. Uh, you can have a limited amount of it, but uh, I think most of it needs to be promoted with uh, through private charities. And whether it's faith-based or non-faith-based and just uh, regular charities, I think that is a better option. So that's my take and rant on those things this week. But uh, one of the final things I wanted to say is, you know, it's it's amazing to me how liberals, <clears throat> and I call, and I'm I'm gonna lump them in with liberals, and you know, I, I, that's a broad brush, I guess. The person I was specifically dealing with was uh, was uh, a Democrat. He's a writer and uh, a journalist, and uh, one of the things I found interesting was that um, I had befriended him on Facebook, and I thought, wow, this you know this will be interesting. Uh, um, I'm gonna go ahead and. Uh, you know, befriend him and listen to up and right up to leading up to the election, even up until just a couple days ago. Uh, I mean, the guy, it's just some of the things that come out of this guy, you know, what he's typing and what his friends, his other friends are saying. And I just finally I couldn't stand it anymore. And I and I commented and I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm an independent. I don't identify with any party as yet uh, or right now. But um, I found that this guy, he was he, he mentioned something about um prosecuting, going investigating Donald Trump uh, for his uh, abuses and power and so forth. And so I don't agree. I don't disagree with that. Um, you know, I, I would have preferred uh, Trump over Biden in this election. It is what it is. We'll see what happens. But the question that comes to my mind is like, yeah, I know Donald Trump. I, I couldn't vote for either of these guys. Going back to that John Piper article at the beginning of the show, um, I couldn't vote for either one of them on moral grounds that they're both bad. Now, the question then is, he, he poses this thing. He said, well, you should investigate the president, uh, Donald Trump, you know, for his, all of his dealings. Okay, fine. Not opposed to that. But what about investigating president-elect Joe Biden? Why are we not going to investigate him? And when I pose that question on his site, he, he retorts back, well, you know, are you going to find information that the Wall Street Journal didn't find? And... You know, I find, uh, you know, who cares? Wall Street Journal's maybe slightly conservative, fine. Just because they didn't find anything doesn't mean there isn't anything there. Uh, and it's worth investigating. You know, with all the things that are going on with him withholding uh, withholding uh, aid to Ukraine over some dealings that his, uh, the, uh, over um, the, because he wanted the government to stop the investigation into a company that his son was a part of. And we always, we, we know his son's a pervert and, uh, and so forth from the things that we've heard, seen on the news. And so the fact is that when you have a person like this, who's going to be the president, uh, and has questionable dealings, if you're going to, um, you know, you got to deal fairly with, uh, if you're going to deal with one way with the incumbent, then you need to deal the same way with the other. But it is a Democrat uh, party mantra. Uh, it's conspiratorial if you if you dissent from the view or say, well, you know, Biden's just as crooked. They just write you off as a as a as a nut job, as a right wing conspiracy theorist. Uh, they told me uh, I was told in that uh, particular uh, forum that uh, Parler was down the hall, and I responded to him that you know Parler's for conspiracy theorists, and I'm not joining. And uh, 
you know, but the thing is they cannot, they would rather listen, they would rather be uh, in an echo chamber. They would rather listen to the sound of their own voices and their own arguments and not uh, look at uh, objectivity and, uh, and, and, and equity uh, and say, look, if we're going to investigate this guy, we need to be fair. And if the Republican Party wishes to re- investigate this president, then let him do that. You know, they've tried to impeach Donald Trump and have come up with nothing. Not saying the guy's a great guy. I'm sure there's something out there that he's not great on uh, and, and is going to do him in. But uh, be fair and equitable and investigate both, because I don't think Donald Trump or Joe Biden are, are, are qualified or worthy to be the president. Uh, of the United States, and I think the American America has been has has got a raw deal because of the lack of options that are available. And so, you know, in the next election, I'd encourage you vote as an independent and write in a candidate if you cannot vote for one of the uh, for one of the candidates that are um, that are presented to us or or the multiple candidates. But you know, the problem is it's usually Republicans and Democrats, and then there's a few other people that are there. Uh, you know, the Green Party, remember Ralph Nader used to be a big, uh, a big uh, uh, presidential candidate every year going to the, you know, different things. And, you know, I find it sad that we don't have more options than just two. And, uh, and, and not every state has, uh, is, it puts on the ballot um, the other candidates. And I think those, those rules need to be changed. Maybe that'll be something for a, another show. But I appreciate you joining me this week and hopefully we'll be back in two weeks. It'll be, week, it'll be right after Thanksgiving. And uh, we'll see what the news has for us. We'll see what the church, uh, what information from the world of the church and religion, what information from the culture and uh, what information comes at, oh, uh, just to finish my story, uh, I was canceled. I was booted out of that. <laughs> I was blocked from that group uh, just because they would rather listen to their well, sound of their own voice and their own arguments. So appreciate you joining me. We'll see you in two weeks. Keep in touch.